men discriminated against, why don't we call men victims in domestic violence cases? What will become of our boys when men in movies are constantly being humiliated and emasculated? We're honored to have with us today Dr. Aman Siddiqui, who is a clinical psychologist with a PhD on prejudice against men. He's a published men's issues researcher who has come to the attention of prominent people in that area. So we're excited to be allowed to introduce his work here overseas. Before we get into bias, why did you choose this topic over others? And what were some of the reactions you met when presenting it? Hey, uh, it's great to meet everyone. I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate it. So I chose the topic uh, because it's uh, the psychology of prejudice has always been kind of a very important topic for me, even when I was young, just, you know, noticing different groups and how people were treated. Even when I was younger, I noticed there was this idea of kind of acceptable prejudice. There would be groups that at any point in time, in any culture or country, uh, it was considered okay to be negative against them. Even while, you know, I don't know about other places, but America is very obsessed with the idea of anti-prejudice. And, you know, you probably see it all over, all over the world in our news all the time. But uh, we also are constantly doing it to people. And so, you know, and anytime they, it's like, it's like there's a list of people who you shouldn't be prejudiced against. You can be off the list and then you can get on the list and now you're protected. And I'm saying, yeah, but five years ago, you were doing the same bad things to these people and then it was considered okay. And I was noticing this even when I was a child. Um, and uh, I've seen certain groups go through that transition. And so it, it's always been an important uh, thing in my life. I did my uh, general literature review for my dissertation was just on the psychology of prejudice itself. And a big section of it is on how there and there is all the research in the topic about the concept of socially acceptable prejudice prejudices that are considered normalized in the society and how they transition from one to the next and the and 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 how you can use that model to look at the things that are normal in your society now and uh, I talked a lot about how we adopt the beliefs and uh, attitudes from our society so we assume that the way that certain groups are treated must be okay and normal because that's the way that everyone is doing it even mm -hmm. though 50 years ago Ago, they said the same thing and were saying they were wrong. <laughs> so, right. yeah. you know, we, we know we never want to think of maybe 50 years from now, people were saying something the same about us. And so uh, that, that's kind of how my interest grew. One of those groups I had always noticed was men, uh, among others. But it really became more of a topic for myself when I was doing my doctorate itself. I was definitely focusing in the psychology of prejudice. And ironically, started to, to see even more examples that I'd already seen it throughout my life. But I, I kind of felt that psychology itself would be a place to, uh, would be a force for good in that field. Unfortunately, at least in the U.S., often it's the opposite. Often they were kind of pushing a lot of what we call misandristic ideas. The idea is that, you know, men are dangerous or harmful and this kind of th stuff. And when not even speak against it, just raise questions about it, it really ruffles a lot of people's feathers. Um, and so it's in, in one way, it was very disheartening, but then it sort of galvanized me to say, OK, my I knew my dissertation was going to be on psychology of prejudice. I should really focus in this one area because I noticed there were there was some people who were very uh, misandristic, meaning they were just very anti-male. But there were other people who were only expressing certain beliefs because that's what they had been taught. The same old story, you could say. Mm -hmm. And it took me several years to find a way to talk about the topic and explain it in a way that when you answer everyone, the, all the questions that come up in the person's mind ahead of time and you have a, a response, everything, then they start to say, you know, what? I'm glad you told me about this. 
And okay. I got that response. It took, it took several years to work out the method, but um, there was definitely a lot of backlash from certain people. I, you know, some people tried to get me thrown out of the school, if you can imagine it. Okay. Yeah, doctorate. tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, some there, there were some uh, professors and students who, like I said, they at, at first at first hearing about the topic, they they give you a, a strange look you know i was i was doing um one topic uh, one paper in a consulting class a psycho psychological consulting and they, they wanted us to talk about an issue that needs to be fixed right and so that was the assignment kind of so i told them i want to do it on prejudice against men in our very school <laughs> and okay. uh, the only part that she was so her response was yeah yeah that makes sense sure uh but of course men itself themselves can't be a group that sees prejudice you'd have to say black men or gay men it'd have to be mm -hmm. some other attribute that's a concept that's out there. But I was ready for it. it I mean, it took several years for me to, to, to learn all the responses people have. So I didn't really challenge her. I just said, sure, sure. But I wrote mm -hmm. the paper for that class, knowing all those things that all those responses she's going to have. And I basically responded to them. And I detailed not only the ways that men in psychology fields may be experiencing discrimination, but in our very school, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, which, you know, could ruffle even more feathers. And to be honest, in the end, what, uh, she wrote on the paper, you know, when they give their comments, she said, I'm really glad you wrote this. I loved it. So she really converted, um, but only because I went step by step and really explained okay. each and everything. There were, of course, other people who uh, were just dead set against it. And anytime time moving my mouth, they would literally tell me to be silent. I was just silenced. You know, uh, one um, training advisor said I shouldn't even graduate. I mean, I didn't do anything what? wrong in the training. It's actually, you know, um, uh, against the ethical principles. He is just using his personal dislike for my interest in men's studies and advising that I shouldn't. I shouldn't finish my training, uh, even though my my training uh, advisor, my actual clinical training, had no problems. I also had people ask, like, how could I ever work with women? I said, mm -hmm. have I ever expressed that I hate women? I don't know where you're getting this. So that I have a problem working with women. Uh, often there's a response in general from people. You must uh, you must be misogynist if you want to talk about men's issues. And it's it's uh, disheartening when you're even getting that from psychologists themselves. They should be the ones uh, right. teach people not to think that way. <laughs> and so, OK, so let's take this step by step. Sure. Can we come find common ground when it comes to bias and prejudice? Can we use those two terms interchangeably? Um, well, there are some technical differences in the meaning, like from a psychological perspective, but it's fine to just use them in regular life interchangeably. Yeah, because we just did an episode on unconscious bias. And there's a, I mean, it's a natural way of we process information. And the way that you use prejudice is, is more of a negative conscious bias. Can we, would you uh, agree sure. to that? I mean, technically, a bias is just any uh, slant, positively or negatively, mm -hmm. towards a thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a stereotype would be an assumption about uh, someone based on their group membership. And so if you combine the two, you get a prejudice. So it's whenever right. you have a positive mm -hmm. or negative feeling towards someone, solely based on their group membership. So it's really an attitude or a feeling. Uh, if someone has a certain belief about certain groups or they're good at business or they're bad at business, that's more of a stereotype. And, and there are, are cultures on, on the earth that have a lot of stereotypes and they're just part of their culture that they have all these different ethnic groups and each ethnic group has a certain attribute that people mm -hmm. talk about. But no one no one views e either group negatively or, or positively. They're just, just part of their culture to claim everyone has these groups. Um, and so they're they're happy with the stereotypes, you know. But prejudice is really when um, the point of those stereotypes is to come to a 
if I tell, so there's some, there's, it's an easy test. If I mention to someone just the group name, you know, if I go to a culture that has a lot of negative views towards Muslims and I just say, uh, he's a Muslim, go give you a look like this, they, or there's something like this, you know, this, it, it's, it's, an, it's really a, what we call an affective response, an emotional response. I have a general negative view or a general positive view about groups, about a person because of their group memberships. That's really what a, a prejudice is about. There, there may be even certain beliefs about men. You know, everyone has different viewpoints. And even though I present a lot of data, sometimes everyone just has their, we can call them stereotypes, and they're sticking to them. <laughs> but what we can well, all but agree I think, on I is think that concerns that... all types of groups, right? I'm sure yes, like yes, we have exactly. stereotypes in head for men. In our cultural context, I think that really also depends on the culture and where you grow up. I haven't studied psychology, so I'm talking here to two professionals. But of course, I did my, my experiences in life. And one thing I've wanted to ask you when we, we talk about prejudice against men, you said in the beginning, there are certain groups where in society, some prejudice are okay. You also described it. Sometimes we use humor very strongly to justify it um, a bit. But when we come towards the topic man, like, can you give us some examples like prejudice that you've seen that we currently perceive as okay? Sure, that sure. No, that's a great question. Um, so there are several different ways in which men experience bias. One of the main ones that is, uh, and as you said, there are different ones in different cultures, uh, but there are some that are really kind of global and you see evidence of it in a variety of places. The first main one would be that there tends to be less of an emotional reaction when men experience harm. So that's uh, referred to as the empath male empathy gap. So, for example, like Hannah mentioned, uh, you will see on television, you know, uh, thousands of men who are being in different television shows and movies being killed, being beaten up, um, you know, tortured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tortured. You know, you can't watch a James mm -hmm. Bond movie unless James Bond is just tortured in some unimaginable way. And so, mm -hmm. of course, it blunts your affective responses over time. Um, it becomes something that you assume is normal. Uh, And then on the other side, it's also very common in comedy, slapping, kicking in the groin, these kind of things. And it, it develops an unconscious belief that there's no concern for the, what the person is going through, uh, for the pain the person is going through. So over time, you know, when it's, you know, obviously everybody can laugh at one slapstick thing where a person falls down. But when it, uh, the really it becomes when there's a pattern, and this is this is true of most forms of uh, discriminatory things on television for any group, is when there's a consistent pattern that a certain behavior is only shown with that group over and over and over. Um, so in this case, it really sends the message, an unconscious belief that men don't feel pain, either emotional or physical. Mm -hmm. And that really gets ingrained into people's mind. You can see this in studies. You know, if you show an image to someone of a, a man or a woman receiving the same physical harm and you measure their galvanic skin response and other physiological responses to show what their emotional reaction is. Even myself, even though I'm into, uh, interested in the topic, it's all unconsciously really conditioned into you. I'm sure I would have the same mm -hmm. uncontrollable response. And what's more important is that those types of attitudes, then other studies have shown they really create a big impact in the world. For example, uh, it's been shown to increase this attitude. It really increases domestic violence against men because perpetrators often cite the fact that they didn't think it was such a big deal. They didn't think the person was being harmed. They had seen it so many times. They thought it was a normal way to express frustration. That's interesting. I've even had spoken with ER residents, emergency room residents, who literally were laughing at men who were so abused they went to the hospital. 
So anyone who thinks that, oh, if a man is in domestic violence, it must be just a, a harmless slap. Well, then why was he in the ER? Mm. So it's, it's not that he was laughing at men being the victims of violence in general because he thought it's funny. He was laughing at people who he's seeing who must be in serious harm. I mean, that is, that is obviously terrible, right? <laughs> if, if you then start <laughs> laughing, if you, if you see someone who has been harmed. However, yeah. don't you think that this also during the last years that this perception has changed slightly? Like, for example, like in Switzerland, we, as you said, like domestic violence against men, just my personal perception was not a big topic when I think about it like 10 years ago, but it starts to come up a bit more regularly. You know, in facilities in Switzerland, we call it like for, for women who um, experienced abuse that it could go there is called Frauenhaus so this is a home for for women they could go there with their kids and they now I think it was last year or the year before they started to open such facilities also for men because they said this is actually something that we were missing my personal hope is of course I think with all the movies we see with the context we see I could see that it forms an opinion that men perceive pain differently or have a higher tolerance of pain and it doesn't harm them as much but I think I can see a change in society, at least when it comes to violent or sexual abuse, that we are talking more openly about that and see that men can also be a victim or even boys. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think you're dead on. Um, I was going to mention that a uh, little later on about how perception of the topic is definitely starting to change. Uh, a lot of it's about social media because uh, and things like YouTube, which in general, those uh, those uh, tools have allowed a lot of information in general, on various topics to get around the world that maybe you, they used to be gatekeepers, you know, the universities and the televisions, uh, you know, news broadcasts used to gatekeep information and only what is kind of approved used to get out. Now, a lot of things get out and it could be good or bad, but all types of information is, 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 is accessible now. And there definitely is a big change. The past 10 years, there's been a few documentaries on the topic. I would definitely say it's just starting out. Um, I, I, so I wouldn't, I, I would not that you were saying this, but I wouldn't want anybody to think like, well, okay, now everyone's aware of the topic because I can also see how much resistance there is. Um, so much still needed to learn because I talk to people regularly and you can see the areas. Also, there has been a long held uh, strategy where every time men would try to sort of bring up their issues to some degree, instead of really uh, acknowledging them, they would be like uh, what we call a token gesture, a slight change in the way the topic is talked about to make it seem like, okay, mm -hmm. we gave you a piece. Now we can go back to focusing. So for example, you know, if you went back 50 years, they would say that domestic violence is purely a thing that happens to women. women. And the word women mm -hmm. is in laws in the United States, like Violence Against Women Act, you know, even though it was really just a domestic violence act and things like this. Then people said, oh, well, maybe that's uh, discriminatory. They said, okay, okay, we'll just call it, you know, domestic violence victims. But then everything we'll talk about on the webpage or in the course will all be about women. People will just mm -hmm. use that title to right. so no one will claim we're discriminatory. Then they started to say, okay, we'll start to tell people that domestic violence against men can happen, but it's very rare and it uh, doesn't really harm them. But we'll just say it can happen because then we will we'll acknowledge it's not an impossibility. So yeah. it's always a little bit. It's like it's a little bit like pulling yeah. teeth, if you will. And there's um, definitely a difference in uh, public fund funding still hmm. how we fund men's issues uh, in relation to uh, women's issues. But you're definitely right that on the positive side, really not from the top down, not from the governments and not from the people in power, but from the regular people who are who are occasionally get into power or something like this, 
there's definitely starting to be a change and it's great. And that's why, you know, people like me can even start to get interviewed. I mean, it'd be rare for two people like yourself to invite me in the past. So you're, you're, you're terrific examples of exactly what you were talking about. So we were talking about types of bias and do you Um, want to continue about that? Sure. Sure. So the first thing we start out with was the um, male empathy gap where we talked about how, people tend to have less of an emotional reaction when men are in some sort of harm situation and how that really does filter through society. We had mentioned like the ER physician who was laughing about, you know, men who were coming in from domestic violence. It's also not uncommon for many psychologists, and this has even been shown in research, but you can also just see it in your regular clinical practice. There are many psychologists who don't believe um, a husband could be the victim of domestic violence. Even when the wives are actually admitting admitting it to them, I've actually worked in situations like that where the uh, psychologist telling me they're just making it up and she doesn't believe it. Even the even the wife is not hiding it. That's so crazy. we don't want yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't, nobody wants, of course, their sons to be trapped in any sort of relationship like that uh, because either people don't believe them or worse. Often uh, male victims are conditioned to think it's okay or it's not a big deal. Sometimes they come into treatment, they're like, yeah, I know that's happening, but I guess it's not a big deal. I want to talk about such and such. And I have to really do some psychoeducation to say, I think it is an issue on the table. And then sometimes six months later, they're they're coming around and saying, you know, this is totally unacceptable, et cetera, like this. Another thing you often see, which is kind of a subcategory of the empathy gap, that men also tend to receive a lot less help in society. Um, They call this the compassion void. So for example, there are a lot of different studies, hundreds of studies actually about where they, when they kind of uh, simulate scenarios, you know, where men will receive, for example, less financial help if uh, they're in some sort of need of some sort of situation. Um, Homelessness Mm -hmm. is a good example of that, where the vast majority of homeless people are male, but the majority of homeless shelters are, at least in the U.S., are actually female. And we also see that here. I just saw Mm. that, you know, you have less money for cancer research towards cancers that mostly Mm. affect men. I mean, in Norway, you have this, I work with some oil rig workers up north, and there's a cancer that affects 3% of all men with cancers that are due to these chemicals that Mm. they're exposed to at the oil rigs. And it's like 0.1% of the cancers in women from the Mm. same considerations. And that has received zero attention. Yeah. And so it's kind of, there's a general overall idea. I mean, of course, it's good to help people in general, right? But our mind does tend to prioritize. You know, I actually did one research article on a topic like that, where, you know, helping, you know, for example, a lot more people would assume it's uh, better to help poor people than rich people something like that, right? So psychologically, our mind does create categories. It's interesting. There was one article by a transgender male individual. So that's someone who was born female, lived female for many years of their life, and then eventually transitioned to be male. And they said the biggest thing they noticed after the transition was the difference in the way people or not only treated them, obviously people would treat them differently in many ways, but treated them specifically with regards to health. They said people used to offer small kindnesses and all kinds of things throughout their day. And now they felt like they could be struggling with a variety of things, anything from getting onto the bus with luggage to uh, problems in their daily life. And they said it didn't seem like anybody gave a damn. That's what they were saying. There's definitely a lot of empirical research. I feel like that is the most compelling because you often have people in gender studies talking about either their, how the whole world is in gender, as if, as if any of the women talking about gender have lived as a man, as any of the men have lived as a woman, a woman, right? 
So this is the one case where you can say that's actually true. You have someone actually living, actually experiencing life in different ways. I remember I spoke with a psychologist whose son complained to her and she was, she actually told me the story. She said, he said, whenever my sister's upset, she, um, she's very concerned. And when he's upset, she tells him to calm down and chastises him. And she, and because she's a psychologist, she said, you know what? I'm really glad he told me that. So that, that type of thing is probably happening a lot of the time, but not everyone has a son who's going to be outspoken and a mom who's such a great listener or something like this. It really sends the message overall. And I'm not sure if this will make, I, I can guarantee this would make sense to any, any of the men listening to you, but I'm not sure if it would make sense to, to the women hearing it, but it sends the message that men really should sacrifice all the time for the well-being of women. And I'm not sure how that'll sound, but I can guarantee most men will hear that and say exactly. That's that's the word right. they usually hear when we talk when they talk in men's groups. Sacrifice. Always, you have to sacrifice. Okay, um, there I think I disagree with you a little because I have, I will honestly say I parent my boys and my girl differently. I'll emphasize different things when it comes to the boys and other things in Eliana. Like with Eliana, I, I have to say I, I brush her hair three times before she gets to go out of the door. And with, with the boys, when they have a fall, not a serious fall, but a, but a small fall, I try to encourage that they brush it off. Right. I so want them I to guess, grow into I mean, in men way, that, that uh, exhibit bravery. Not that they repress their emotions, not at all, but I think you have to differentiate between uh, you know, suppressing emotions and, yeah, and bravery. Um, sure. I mean, I guess I could see how people have, I mean, people have different views, I guess, on gender roles. And so I guess I tend to not discuss that too much only because like we said, there's a million different ways that people look at it. But uh, if you want to take your example, you know, to a you're right that it's good for people to be strong and not cry about every single skin knee. It's a good it's good to be resilient in life in general, for people as a whole to be resilient. There's a lot of benefits to going through difficulties in life and being able to handle them. <clears throat> but when you go through life and your whole and your whole life has been very made clear that you don't deserve any help. You're not worth it. You're less important. And that is the message that men are saying they're receiving. You know, we're not saying maybe that's happening. I mean, that's what they're, that's what they're telling people. There are a lot of examples. I mean, I, I've spoken with uh, divorced fathers and their children spend all their time with their mom because they think their mom's emotional well-being in the divorce is more important and the dad will be okay. And okay, their dads are dying. Their dads are alone and their dads are not okay. But not mm -hmm. only does everyone think that's how they should react, even the dads are telling me, well, I guess that's fine. That's the way it should be. She should get the help. And mm -hmm. so the men themselves are conditioned that they're not worth, you know, uh, receiving help. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's why Absolutely. some of these objective, we're not going to get into, you know, these psychological studies, but some of them, they, they remove all the real life factors. They make, you know, mm -hmm. psychological studies are facsimiles of fake uh, environments, right? Where they isolate one or two things. Uh, and they can really show you how, for example, a man or a woman who did the same thing and, you know, needed the same help and they measure how much money was given to the woman, how much was given to the man but for identical situations. While your point is right that people in general, you know, should develop strength, no one's suggesting you coddle each and everything. We're talking kind of like on a larger level. That's why I started out. I said, you know what? It, women may not understand by hearing this, but I can guarantee you, and I'm not, I don't usually say guarantee, but I would say this is one thing that I won't find any man who will say, no, I don't feel like I've been told to sacrifice. And uh, 
sacrifice in general, again, is good. But when it comes, when it gets to a systemic level, you know, that's when you get to the point where it's called compassion void, that's the, that's the technical term for this. Mm-hmm. That's a scary sounding word, right? I mean, everyone does deserve compassion. And uh, um, obviously, there are a lot of situations men end up in where being strong and those skills you were teaching are important. We were talking more of, you could say, the the negative aspects of this when it becomes an unconscious belief. You know, a man, you know, a man who's trying to lug four luggages at once, and I'm like, whatever. I, I, I've literally heard people say, well, it's okay. He's a man. He doesn't need any help. I can understand if you said, well, maybe a man can carry a hundred pound suitcase and a woman can carry yeah. an eighty pound suitcase, something like this. But he clearly does need help. Everyone objectively <laughs> can see this guy needs help. No, of course, of course. Of, of yeah, I'm also very concerned with the world that my boys will meet. Mm-hmm. And I, nothing makes me angrier when I hear about female quotas and corporates. We see that everywhere here. And uh, and I was thinking, okay, we're trying to help women in corporate and we want to further them. Okay, but I'm thinking, what about the wives that are uh, relying on the husband's income and he's been waiting five years for this promotion? And then the woman is promoted ahead of him just because, um, that, yeah, that, that makes me very, very but, angry. But I think that those are very different things now because I can picture, you know, the example that Amon just mentioned with the luggage. This is something that I could completely see. You can even see a woman carrying a large luggage. There will be some men very close to help them. And we were raised with that standard. If you see someone who needs help, you should help them. But it's mainly conditioned to, I would say, to females or elderly people or children. Mm -hmm. And there I see like this gap. I agree. And I could just, you know, work on myself thinking, you know what? If I see a man struggling Mm -hmm. with luggage, maybe I can ask him if I can help him. Yeah, that could be one thing I could do. But still, I don't think we should neglect that women in in some situations are also dependent on people helping them because they go into fields they have not been before. So they need support in certain ways for the men. So I wouldn't mix the corporate world where you see the career push for women with our daily life where we see you that there's some. You absolutely have to, because when you're furthering corporate women, you are prioritizing a very particular class of women in a certain age, because they can't retain the women who are above that age, right? They've proven that they mm. uh, they have trouble retaining women who are past 35 in senior positions in mm-hmm. corporate. So you're really just talking to them, that very particular class of women, while a normal women's issue mm-hmm. is that the man can make enough money to support the family. So I don't like this separation of men's and women's issue, really. We have to further the family's issue to raise both of them up. Well, maybe there might be a good way to sort of combine what you both are saying. I think maybe a good example of the compassion void in this scenario would not be so much, you know, industries that predominantly uh, had more men and that any programs that encourage women entering it. Maybe a better example might be there are a variety of employment areas in where men are actually disadvantaged, but that we then do not mm-hmm. choose as a society to implement the same strategies would be a better example. So, for example, one of those areas, which I'm sure Hannah's familiar with, is in nursing. 
course, the vast majority of nurses are female. And there are a lot of studies that show a significant amount of discrimination against the men who want to enter. Nursing is, a, first of all, extremely important industry. I don't think people out maybe outside the medical community know how vital it is. I'm sure Hannah knows we're not doing all the work. You know, like we're just giving a diagnosis yeah. and leaving the room. And uh, the hospital will fall apart without the nurses and, and the other kind of support staff. And so it's definitely a field to encourage gender equality, um, but it's not one that nursing has taken on at all. Similarly, my own field, not only is there a big deficit of male psychologists, it's increasing every year. And I've actually written about this, that um, it's not only increasing, but there is little, little effort done to, to change this. And in the area of psychology, it's actually a big deal because, I mean, it's, you know, if in theory, if all the software programmers were men, it's not going to change the software very much. It's what, you know, it's really more just so people have a freedom of choice. But if you're all the therapists are women, it will have a direct impact on the nature of therapy. I mean, all the men have to go to. No, but I have a problem here therapy. now that we have too many female doctors. And then when the women then go internally leave or they, they'd start working less, we, we have a, a serious problem right you, so you know just uh mm -hmm. you know for example in nursing a lot of male nurses complain that they are given almost all of the physical labor it's not divided equally you know mm -hmm. there's a lot of difficult labor in nursing and if there's one man and there's nine women and he's doing 90 of all the all the hard work also in america ironically there are female only nursing scholarships which mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense it's already all women right. and then the scholarships are excluding instead of encouraging you know men to enter the field a lot of nurses say they also experience discrimination during the nursing program so this is just an example and you know that's why i said people have different points of view on these types of topics do you need to have everyone be the same in every industry and how should you approach this People have different points of view. But if you can see that society as a whole is taking one perspective, which is, okay, if there's a deficit in some way, we should, as a society, encourage people in that field. Mm -hmm. If that's a strategy that a certain culture has chosen, then that's great. But then that strategy itself should be applied, you know, to various circumstances. So that might be an example of compassion void, where uh, whenever I point out, like, areas in education, There are many books written on deficits for boys in education and in employment. People are like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's also something I'm concerned very about the boys your, uh, in school. So, um, so um, are there some areas with discrimination that we haven't come through? Uh, yeah, I think one that's just important to talk about, this is more of a larger topic that has some sub areas, but I don't want to get into too many weeds. It's sort of just the general concept of misentry in general. Uh, misandry is probably maybe a word a lot of people aren't even familiar with because this, this topic isn't discussed. But it's basically, you know, negative attitudes and beliefs about men in general. Um, probably not more people may be familiar with the word misogyny. Or maybe both these are words that, English words that are, it's, I could say in the U.S., Sajin is a word that's very commonly used. I'm not sure if it's a... I've heard anti-male. Okay, yeah, because these are maybe fancy English words that maybe outside of the U.S. are not commonly used. But the word misogynistic is thrown around constantly in the U.S., and which is uh, basically words that just means beyond just prejudice, just, you know, negative mm -hmm. views of women. And so people are surprised there's even a word for the same thing for about men. And this really has a detrimental effect because it can it really feeds or is the power of source of power for a lot of other things that happen. 
So some examples that you might see in your daily life. Um, you know, you'll, you'll probably notice that most of the evil characters in movies and television, they're all male, right? Um, the, the, all yeah. the potential abuse, all the, all the abusers are all male. And furthermore, men are taught that they're all a potential abuser. Mm -hmm. You're all a potential. But can I say that there's something quickly? I mean, yes, I see that the bad guys, they're men, but also heroes are also portrayed mainly oh, as men. Or it's like when you go into the um, fairy tales, you have the evil witches. So I, I do see your point when you say bad characters are male, but I would say not not only the bad guys. No, that's true. That's true. And so a good example would be if I told you that all of the, in, in maybe in the previous decades, maybe to some degree now, but maybe they're changing it in the previous decades. If I said all of the, the losers and the homeless guys and the criminals in the movies were all black mm -hmm. and you might say, well, there was a few positive black characters too. I'd say that's true. But how many of the criminals that they showed were not were black? white? Yeah. Yeah, how okay. many of the terrorists no, yeah. that they showed we're not Muslim. So, so you're if you right. see um, any superhero movies past 2016, they're all constantly ridiculed. They're, I mean, I just saw this Thor Love and Thunder that was wildly popular and there wasn't a scene where they weren't rolling their eyes behind his back and she was able to take the hammer and he wasn't. So that was like a running gag. And like, now that I know about it, I can't stop seeing it and it, mm -hmm. and it really bugs me. And then yeah, yesterday I caught my um, Ephraim watching Peppa Pig and I was like, ah, they're literally running around Peppa's dad laughing at him. And uh, yeah, I found this book just before I left where they're pretending they are a mama pig and daddy pig. And she tells him, oh, it's time for you to work a little bit too. So they're really indoctrinating the kids and this humiliation of men. I just turned it off immediately. <laughs> Yeah, but that's where I think we have to focus on the mom because we're spending the majority of time with the kids and we can at least exert some control in what they watch and not or how they perceive it. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to raise any of the thoughts that any viewer is going to say the same thing. You know, I think when we're mentioning about TV and, and books and stuff, people might think, you know, what's the big deal? It's just some shows or whatever. But those are really just uh, signposts or signals of overall societal beliefs. It's not that we're saying the whole issue is just Peppa Pig and some superhero movies. It's more that those are the result of commonly held beliefs. There's a lot of subcategories in, in the concept of misandry we won't get into, but the overall idea is just projecting evil characteristics onto men as a whole. They're dangerous. I should avoid them. I'm walking down the street and there's a man. I should cross the street. Maybe he's going to attack me, even though he's just living his life. And, uh, you know, for example, we have seen in research studies, you know, you can show a couple fighting and they can have exactly identical behaviors and people will assume that the man is going to hit the wife. You know, there's been no physical motions whatsoever in the in the scenario. We've also seen, for example, I saw a, 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 some social experiments, so they're not officially research studies, but there are social experiments where they, you know, make videos of, of actors who are portraying, you know, domestic violence in public and they see people's mm. reactions. And there were some of them where there were women who were celebrating the man getting beat. They were clapping. They were laughing. Really? They were happy about it. Um, because they were, they were projecting all these imaginary things. Finally, we're getting back at them. And I'm sure he deserved it. I don't know what he did, but he must have done something. I mean, there's no evidence for any of this. This is what we call projection. They're just saying men are evil. And if, you, and if someone is beating them up in public, literally, not just neutral, really happy. And so um, ridicule that Hannah was mentioning in general has traditionally been shown as a way of lo lowering. And so that's not that's not a new tool. 
that's always a tool that people have used to sort of reduce people's view of the severity of what some particular group is experiencing. It's, yeah. a, it's a tactic that's been used for a long time and it's, it affects many groups. And so it really, you know, the joke itself is not a big deal. A lot of people in the U.S. nowadays are having a backlash about, can't we just have jokes? And why does everybody complain about every joke? So at some degree, that's fine if it's just a joke. But when it becomes systematic, it's really a way of saying that harm against certain groups is okay because mm -hmm. they're not important anyway. So that's why Hannah is mentioning, you know, like a theme that's not just in one show, maybe or one episode, but is a frequent theme throughout a 10 year long show that is shown to kids or something maybe can get in people's unconscious thoughts about just this general mm -hmm. idea of misandry that men are libidinous. All they care about is sex. They're dangerous. They're inherently violent. You should always be worried about them. I mean, if you have these views about any group, it's not really a good idea. Mm -hmm. And you can see that historically, I'm sure in Europe, uh, especially so historically, those types of views have been used to justify or perpetuate harm against certain groups. It's never like, oh, those people are just fine, but we should yeah. harm them. It's always they're right. the worst and they're ruining everything in society. That's of course, it's, that's an effective the bias yeah. that will develop in our kids. And mm -hmm. I mean, some of the bias that we talked about, I think, is just due to our biological differences and I think some of that makes sense to have and that we also sh should raise our kids to know and accept and be happy for their differences mm -hmm. and I just think that that will get them further in life sure yes, I want to talk have. about uh, how we can how we can act against discrimination and I think yeah this what we watch is a, it's a big thing mm -hmm. and I, I have one one question that is because we, we now heard many examples and I see with some points I really need to digest because it's uh, I do see your point of views. I do see that you have a lot of evidence for the prejudice against men that you've described. Some of them now, for example, the, the last one, I do see that we have some stereotypes in our heads when we think about men that is shown in movies and stuff, but I think this applies to different groups, right? We also have this portrait of a woman. We also have this portrait of a black guy that, that we constantly see. And maybe that's one thing you wanted to achieve is I never thought very consciously about the portrait that is drawn for a man, more for other groups, I would say. But what do you hope? Like you, you wrote this thesis. What would you what change would you like to see? Well, this is a great question. Um, you know, what can parents do? I mean, so one thing is, like uh, Hannah mentioned, just being more aware of this type of topic and the various messages that both the children and just you yourself receive. So that, of course, comes with things like media. It also comes through schools. Um, you know, often uh, the education, the education system in general is for the purpose of indoctrinating the population just as a whole, right? It's not just to give you facts mm -hmm. and figures. It's to teach you the way you're supposed to see the world. Um, and often they have what they think is a good agenda that they're trying to uh, accomplish. And sometimes what's uh, the, there are unintended consequences. So there are a lot of elementary schools, for example, in the U.S. that want to sort of, they think it's a smart idea to head off sexual assault when the people are young. And so the kids come out of some program and they're like, Mom, today we had a class to teach how all men are dangerous and we're bad and, and we're all potential mm -hmm. rapists. And this is like a third grade and mm -hmm. the school. And so the school is actually in an attempt that they want to solve a problem. They are encouraging, you know, those misandristic views we thought uh, we were mentioning before. So just as a whole, you know, first of all, just being aware in general, a person should be aware of the messages they're receiving. The, the best way to be affected by the world is to not be aware of all the unconscious ways we're being influenced and to think, you know, I'm independent. I'm not I'm not affected by anything. Then you're definitely going to be sort of the idea in psychology. 
Another one, though, would be just to overall, and this may sound funny, but to overall share and encourage just positive views of men. Because I think some mm -hmm. people might say, well, why is that necessary? Uh, you know, I'm not saying anything negative or positive about particular genders. But once we realize how many misandristic concepts are just in society and maybe even sometimes inadvertently built into my own behaviors, it really has a big effect people's self-esteem later. You know, men's not only self-esteem about themselves, but their feelings about being a man, that, you know, being a man is not something bad and that mm -hmm. you shouldn't be ashamed of it. And there's nothing wrong with you because maybe it sounds crazy. Why would someone think there's a wrong of you just because you're born a man or a woman? Mm -hmm. um, but that's basically the unconscious message that is sent when misandry is popular. So, for example, men are told often, you know, if they stand up for themselves, if they're slapped or insulted by their girlfriends, then they might, they're the potential criminal, you know. And so that's a common thing I hear in clinical practice. Mm. Um, I actually have a male client currently who was being abused for years by his wife. And his main concern was he was petrified that someone was going to arrest him if he said or did anything. And so you might say, how are those two connected? Well, they're connected by a long line, which is when I'm younger, I'm taught just that I'm, you know, I should have self-esteem. I'm an, I'm important. And the things that happen to me are important versus, you know, like we said, uh, a negative consequence of the compassion void is that I, uh, you know, if I'm in a bad situation, I, I shouldn't even speak about it because it's, it's not something that uh, is as important as other issues. Um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, on the, on the opposite side, you can say again, um, you know, if someone has daughters, the opposite, you know, preventing misandristic views and teaching their daughters just to value men just as much as any other person. So they had to put them on a pedestal. Um, and I don't know if this is true in Europe, but in, in the U.S., it is a bit of an issue where even at a young age, girls are displaying sometimes misandristic views. Uh, that I've, I've spoken to school psychologists about that, that, uh, you know, they would say they, they report like very sarcastic and derogatory remarks. And they say, no, we're teaching. We want everyone to get along together. Not mm -hmm. teaching you. And yeah. so, for example, right. one thing you could say is valuing sensitivity in, you know, teaching daughters to value sensitivity in men. Um Usually what I hear is, yes, yes, we all want men to have emotions. But in practice, that only happens when men's voices and emotions are respected and not really like ridiculed. So you could, we, often we might say it, but then when it's actually happening, it might receive, basically, if men try to be sensitive and try to express what's going on in their emotional life and right. they receive negative feedback and they get the message that this is something we want to hear, it's called a double bind in psychology. I'm telling you one thing, but my actions are a different thing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm telling you I want to see you, but when I see you, I, I, I give you a hug that shows I don't want to really want to be there. And people get a mixed message. So often we consciously tell boys, you should, you should have your emotions, but then when they actually share them, it's not really valued. So that's maybe something that is in the purview of, of parents to really encourage. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's of course sense. not, not good, but I, yeah, I would still want to encourage stoicism and, you know, strength, strength to carry responsibility. I, I just think that these positive traits of masculinity are very important to hone in, in boys. That's I want a good point, to become... Anna the best man that they can be so that they can select the best mate that they possibly can. No, that's a good point. I think it's important to maybe differentiate the difference between strength and stoicism, because I think maybe in the 20th century, they got intertwined and it wasn't always the case. You know, if we go back 50 years um, and uh, where men were going or 100 years, men were going on fishing trips together and, you know, all these mm -hmm. classic things you might imagine, right? Men are in battlefields, men are wherever. Um, we imagine that they were all a bunch of heartless stone soldiers. And that's not mm -hmm. true. Actually, that's an image that was created 
we could say in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, look, men are stoic, and etc. like this. It's not accurate at all. Men do have a very engaging emotional life. You can see this in any men's group and in any uh, clinical practice. So strength is, you know, your ability to go through difficulties and persevere. And it's, of course, something that everybody should have. Stoicism is maybe the idea that I should I should endure hardships without any complaint or emotional reaction, which is, you know, any clinician can tell you is just a recipe for disaster because you will have, this is what I often tell my clients, whether you want to show it or not, you're going to have an emotional reaction. You actually can't turn your emotions off. There's really no such thing as stoicism. All you can do is suppress your emotions and they will come out in another way. It's not it's not physically not possible. You'd be a robot, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you'd be a Vulcan. At the same so, time, you don't want to raise a boy who will become a man who expresses their emotions the same way a woman would. Um, so I guess on that topic, I would say maybe that's a, a personal belief that a person may or may not have. But mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, do people have different points of view about how, whether they think gender roles are positive or negative, and you can certainly have that one, but we're just mainly focusing on the idea that on the fishing trips I mentioned before, what do people think they were talking? They were talking with their fathers and their cousins and their brothers about the things going on in their life, about the difficulties going on in their life, getting advice, expressing that they may be upset or sad or hurt about something. Maybe they weren't yeah, breaking down they talk down to in each tears. other in a very different way than women do. Yeah, so just to finish it off, the point is mainly that wasn't stoicism. You know, Mm -hmm. that was expressing the emotions that people want to get into their different personal beliefs about how they can do it and and things yeah. like that you know that can vary but we uh we really don't want to encourage the idea that to be strong you shouldn't have this reaction you know mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. it, it, sort of the idea and so encouraging that not only in the boys but also in the girls i think is something that could be very positive and for the boys mm -hmm. just kind of encouraging this idea that kind of an anti-misandry idea that I'm, I'm glad i have a daughter and a son and you're both mm -hmm. great and, yeah. you know it sounds like a exactly. simple Have you sensed other resistance? You, um, you, you mentioned resistance before to the topic. Um, sure. I mean, it can be as much as on a large area, like at a, at a high level and at a low level. For example, just to, uh, you know, there are different areas besides <laughs> domestic violence, but just since we're using that topic, you know, in the United States, uh, the FBI for many, many decades actually literally defined rape as sexual violence against women like it was in the definition so oh, literally their statistics said zero men have ever been raped because it's impossible according to their definition so this was the definition until 2012 so we're not talking about 1950 1930 all the oh, way wow. until 2012 this was their definition and so then they said okay don't worry we'll update it and we'll fix everything And so what they did is they changed the definition so that a man can be raped only if he's raped by another man. That, Or I guess I can actually see why they would write that. That's just horrible. It's just an assumption. They will go into the physical aspects of it, of rape, right? Because I was about to say that, yeah. yeah because exactly. I've also heard from victims statements, basically that they get asked the question, like, how does that even work? Mm -hmm. Because a man cannot be raped, right? right, um, right. Physically, that's impossible. So, so I, I, yeah. I see I guess that is going into that direction. Oh yeah, and also Terrible. when when teachers have a relationship with with the students, when it's a when it's a male teacher to a female students, it's 
always rape. And uh, if it's a female professor, then it's a relationship. <laughs> right. So the FBI, you know, doesn't now currently ignore, you know, sexual assault against a man by a woman, but it will be called that. It's, ca it's classified as other sexual assault. Yeah. And there was an interview with the, with the woman who was in charge of this whole project. They asked her why they have done this. Why have they carved out this one aspect and not? And she said, well, uh, if a woman decides to, I don't know if, if you're fine with all the terminology, vaginally rape a man, basically force a man to have sex with her, it's different from rape. And they asked why. She said, it just is. She, so her own prejudice is built into the definition that I'm just saying it is. And so it's been carved out. But the problem is, of course, they didn't tell everyone what I just said. I had to go and dig through to get this. So if you go online, there's all this information. We fixed the problem. Gender, uh, there's no more gender bias in rape statistics. Everything is correct. So then when people go to the statistics and still see a small number of men, they say that must be true because they have told us they fixed the gender bias. So when mm -hmm. I wrote about it, I said they definitely haven't fixed the gender bias. And the, the way they fixed it actually shows the strength of their bias, how much they want to resist it. They went through this whole game, if you will, right, to conceal things. So whenever I quote statistics, I take that number called other sexual assault. And I add it in, and that's mm -hmm. why I show people, look, the number of sexual assaults against men is so high. But then if someone's to reference the same document, they say, I don't see why he's saying that. It's because the document itself is essentially forgery. You know, it's it's concealing it. So that's just an example of a high-level kind of resistance, what you were saying. But, of course, it's and a positive aspect is the only reason they made that change is that people on the ground were pushing for it. One thing, because I think when you are an advocate for women, I don't think that means that you have something against men. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like just because I'm focusing on, let's say, the problems, needs, also the prejudice against women, that doesn't mean that I neglect the pain that men might experience. Because also nowadays I see, you know, with, with uh, the trends we also have in Switzerland, this is not always easy for men to handle, that I can totally see. However, I think it is important that we start having some conversations about certain topics right that is not focusing currently on the pain of man which does not explain that i think you know that should not be an excuse that you get attacked when you start raising the pain of man not at all but it's just if someone is talking about the pain of women that doesn't mean that they would neglect that uh no i think that's a great topic um a great point i mean i 100 agree which is why i think it's important that uh Unfortunately, though, a lot of times, and actually the uh, director of a fa the famous doctor documentary Red Pill said this herself, that when she first heard about men's issues coming up, her first reaction was to get upset and say, mm -hmm. why are you against women? And then she herself has to go through this realization. This is this is an example of the assimilation bias, you know, yeah. basically when information is different than what you're used to, you have to fit it into the boxes that you already have in your brain. All oh, right. right. Yes, so that's what totally we just talked about. Information. Mm -hmm. It's got to go somewhere unless I make a new right. box. I'm going to mm -hmm. shove it into a box that's mm -hmm. not really appropriate. What would I tell my son? I would say you are just as important as the girls in your class. Yeah. And being male is never something bad. Very good. Thank you so much yeah, um, you for so your much. time. We really enjoyed this. For giving your perspective. I hope we can also talk in our time because I really think you uh, are very brave that you've wrote about this topic and gave another perspective that we don't often hear about. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. It was terrific. I really appreciate it.